When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Go Huskies podcast is presented by Air Van Moving, the official mover of Husky Athletics and your next move. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig, inspiring kid confidence. The Go Huskies podcast is presented by UW Medicine. Husky athletes get the very best care at UW Medicine. And it's the same expert care that everybody can get at over 270 clinics throughout the region. UW Medicine, a higher degree of health care. Welcome into the Wednesday conversation on the Go Huskies podcast. I'm Tony Castricone. We're going to talk a little cross country today. Uh, and uh, on the women's side, we've got Katie Rainsberger. On the men's side, we've got Mick St- Say it again for me. Stand of sex. Stand of sex. Stand of sex. Okay. Yeah, no uh, you're from Ohio. Yeah, originally. Cleveland, okay. Cleveland, Ohio, city of champions. All right. We yeah. got a fellow Ohioan right in on. the house. That's pretty cool. Um, and Katie, you're from? Colorado. Colorado Springs, actually. Okay. So yeah, lots of hills to run there, yes. right? No lots problem. Of hills. No problem getting the hill work in. No, not at all. I, the trouble is finding more hills here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Cleveland's kind of flat, right? Yeah. We switch out snow for hills. <laughs> That's, right. That's a little different. Training, yeah, 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 no, no doubt. Um, but uh, let's talk about this season. I mean, you guys have been performing at a really high level, both the men and the women. And I, I think this is the second full season of cross country and track that we've had the Powells as the head coaches. What what sort of things have they brought from a leadership standpoint that that make you like running for them? After you, um, I think that both Andy and Marisa Powell. Um, they bring a, I would say, like a aura of like excellence with them, and you just can't help but want to, you can't help but want to just, um, I don't even know quite the right way to put it, but like when they come to practice, they bring an energy and they bring this like belief that you just, you want to succeed, mm-hmm. you want to do well. And I think that it's like a contagious sort of like uplifting environment and um, it's it's an exciting environment. You want to be a part of it. You want to be doing well. You want to excel. Um, and they expect a lot from you, but they give you a lot of opportunities 
to you know perform well to do well and so I you know I'm really excited about where this program is headed yeah that's cool Mick well what about for you yeah I think um, Katie touched on the uh, environment that they kind of make and for for me what I've noticed the men's team it's a culture that the Powell's bring with them mm-hmm. especially coach Andy Powell he um, is really focused on bringing people onto the team who are in it for the um, a grant self-aggrandizingness of being a D1 athlete or getting the all the cool Adidas gear and stuff. He, <laughs> he wants to make sure that people, even though it's great, yeah. he wants to make sure that people are there for because they want to be a part of something great. And with that, we just he sort of builds the ground up from from the people that he brings onto the team who want to make a great thing, and then he sort of builds a good culture of putting the athlete first and making sure that we're all good people. And I think that. Um, I wouldn't be speaking out of line to say for him that he'd prefer us to become good young men and um, mm-hmm. young people uh, coming out of the program than being an NCAA champion, as great as I would be. And I'm sure he would enjoy that. I would enjoy that. We'd all enjoy that. But I think um, if he had to make a choice, um, that both the pals probably would prefer just having good people come out of their program. You know, it's a theme that I hear in all the different sports at the UW is uh, Coach Hopkins says it with men's basketball. Coach Tar says it with softball. It's like how you do anything is how you do everything, right? And so it's not just about excellence on the field of play. It's about carrying that over into everything that you do in life. But you, Mick, you actually started your career at a school we maybe shouldn't name. Um, but uh, you came here basically with, with the pals, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Katie and I both did that. Mm-hmm. I um, I had a different track uh, going to University of Oregon. Um, <laughs> I, I sort of, I wanted to, to run for the Ducks um, when I was a, a kid and um, that was kind of my dream and I wasn't fast enough out of high school. Um, and that's when I met Coach Powell for the first time is um, that walk-on process during my freshman year. And he gave me a few tryouts and they went horribly. And most coaches would have thrown him to the side and said, okay, this is just another kid who wants to walk on and obviously hasn't put in the work to deserve the, the spot. But um, Coach Powell, the, when I realized that he's a different kind of coach is during that freshman year when I wasn't even one of his athletes because he would respond to my emails and he would check up on me and make sure that I wasn't kind of giving up on the dream after I kind of failed those first tryouts. And then eventually he, he just kept an eye on me and he kept encouraging me. And I finally ran fast enough later on that track season my freshman year. And he called me and he said, well... Uh, you have you've more than earned your spot and you seem like a nice gentleman and you, you've worked pretty hard for it so yeah coach Powell kind of took me under his wing during that time and I think that um, it was pretty easy to follow him to University of Washington from Oregon just having seen um, just how he kind of went out on a limb for me and, and never really quite gave up on me despite not really knowing me um, and just kind of believing me Katie, what about for you? I mean, it's not easy to switch and and transfer schools, but you decided to do it. You decided to come with the pals. Uh, What was it for you? For me, I had created a bond and a relationship with Marisa um, throughout the recruiting process my senior year and then my freshman and sophomore years at Oregon. And I had this relationship, this bond, this understanding with her that went beyond how I competed as an athlete, how I performed as an athlete. It was, she cared about me as a person. When I got hurt and I wasn't, you know, putting points on the board every day, Katie, how are you? And that meant so much to me. Like to know that I was cared about as a person and not just points Mm -hmm. on the board Mm -hmm. was like, it was huge. And I didn't want to, I knew I wasn't going to find that kind of relationship with anyone else. And to be honest, I didn't really want to try because I had it with Marisa. Yeah. We just... She knows me. She knows like from how I walk in the door, how I'm feeling that day. She doesn't even have to ask. She just like, we have that, that bond that like, you know, kind of, you know, coach athlete 
you know, even like mentor athlete sort of relationship. So when I, when she called me and she said, all right, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to Washington. And it wasn't a matter of like, should I go? It was like, how can I go? Like, mm. what are the steps I have to take to get there? Because wow. I'm not staying here without you. That's quite a testament uh, to the to the bond that both of you have with the Powells and, and also to, to what kind of coach they are. You know, I think it's interesting because, um, you know, you look at a, a, a football game or a basketball game and, and I think uh, fans might look at a coach in their role as like you got to draw up a play or you got to. But like for for coaching in cross country, so much of it is planning how to work you out to help get you to that peak potential because you can burn out early in the season or or maybe you don't get pushed hard enough you get to the end of the year you haven't quite uh, reached your potential um from, from a strategy standpoint what what is it that you guys are working on as we come down to the time of the year where you're trying to compete for a national championship um well, for the men, um, we kind of had our di- we dipped our toes into a faster race this past weekend or two weekends ago, I guess, at the pre-national championships mm. in Terre Haute, Indiana. So we got to take a look at the course, and the first mile went out in like 4:23 or 4:24 for a five-mile race, and we're going to have to get ready to run two 10ks in eight days once we get to the regional championships and national championships. So from a strategy standpoint, right now we're just kind of getting ready for being able to go out in a 4:20, 4:25 first mile and be able to s- sustain it for. Uh, another four, not just four, another four miles but another five miles then we need to be able to do that for another another time like seven or eight days later um, so right now we what our schedule is we run an 8k which is about five miles and then we have a two-week break of just training really hard and then we get ready for that next 8k so once we get to that postseason strategy wise we're just building the strength so that we'll be able to race a longer distance pretty much two times quicker of a turnover than we've been doing all season mm-hmm. what about for you Katie because you're both very involved not just in cross country but also track as well so you have to consider that season as well so so what are you doing right now katie so for the first i would say six seven weeks of the season it's a pretty intense training block where you don't taper for races you work out twice a week you do a hard long run you lift heavy and there's no foot off of the gas pedal you are grinding and you go into races tired and you might not see results from those first three, four meets. Um, because you're putting in the work, you keep, your head is down, you're not caring about the results. And all of that can be a little bit scary because you're working really hard and you're not seeing any results and the outcome might not be what you want. Interesting. Um, but, you know, after, you know, conference comes around or, you know, into the week leading up to conference, um, you start to lighten up a little bit. You take a couple miles down, you start to taper, you you know, start to feel better. And when nationals rolls around, you're probably going to feel lightened up and you're going to feel better, but you have to buy in those, you know, first seven, eight weeks. You have to trust that it's going to, you're going to feel better Mm -hmm. in the end. Um, And you can't expect immediate results. Delayed gratification is huge (laughs) in cross country. So I would say that right now it's uh, heads are down. Grinding is uh, prominent <laughs> all arounds, but um, when you have a relationship with your coach where you trust mm. that what they're doing is going to help you in the long run, then you're much more likely to buy in and like trust the process, enjoy the journey, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But um, the Powells have a really good system and a really great training philosophy where you know we show up when it matters. 
Katie, what's your load like here in the fall, um, both in school, because you got to worry about the books, right? And then I, you said you're running 70 miles a week. That's crazy. Yeah. It's uh, crazy for me, too, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have built up slowly to this amount of mileage. I definitely did not run this much as a freshman, but over time, um, as you get older, um, miles kind of accumulate and you're like able to withstand more. So I'll run, yeah, roughly 70 miles a week. Um, sometimes like 60 to 65 on a race week. Um, we go to practice and, uh, eight 30 every morning I'll run anywhere from eight to 13 miles in the morning. And, um, depending on if it's a workout day or not. And then <laughs> that's not a workout day. <laughs> no. That's just eight to 13 miles yeah. in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we'll go and hit the gym to lift some weights. And it's a lot of, um, injury prevention as mm. well as strength building. Um, and then, you know, we might have, um, a massage or a Cairo appointment and then it's off to my 12 and that takes from 8:30 to 12:30. It's yeah. a pretty lengthy process. You have warm up, cool down, stretching, plyometrics, drills. Um, so then you you know you, you're done around 11:30, 12 and then it's to class from 12:30 to usually um, 2:30 or 4 4 o'clock and then What are you studying? I'm studying medical anthropology and human evolutionary biology. Wow. So, it's I've loved it. Yeah, it's been so interesting. So, I enjoy going to class. I'm excited about, you know, what I have to learn every day. Um, so that makes, even if I'm really tired from a workout or a run or a lift, I'm like, all right, no, like get your butt up to campus, like uh -huh. <laughs> let's go. And then um, at four, four o'clock or so, we'll come back down and Tuesdays and Fridays and I think another day for the boy, like Monday or Monday or Wednesday for them, we'll, we'll run again around from three to four miles, sometimes five and then uh, dinner. <laughs> yeah. Very it is time to get those calories all yes. back in the system yes. so that that's pretty important mick yeah. uh what about for you I, you told us before we, we hit play on the recording 10 workouts a week oh no just uh nine to ten runs a week not um, well i mean i consider yeah. that a workout <laughs> yeah right <laughs> um, you. yeah i think there are a couple of guys uh, myself included who are um not necessarily born and bred for cross country i'm definitely more of a as Coach Powell once called her, a pretty boy miler uh, on, <laughs> on the track. He said that right before nationals. I'm like, well, okay. Um, so, yeah, me and two other guys who are kind of more of the mid-distance 800, 1500-meter runners in the track, uh -huh. um, while we still are doing um, like maybe 80 miles a week, we slip in like another workout on Wednesday. So we'll do the Tuesday workout and Friday workout as well. And on Wednesday, we'll do hills or 200s alternating in uh, 200 meter repeats just kind of a, a bit faster so that way when we do start to transition from the 80 miles a week to lesser load of 70 miles a week during the track season we're able to mm -hmm. sort of step on the gas a bit quicker and have that turnover ready so yeah it's definitely um process oriented and you have to just think of it as one day at a time and uh as katie said you take a lot of time stretching and warming up and I think the runners who do the best are the runners who are healthy during the postseason. So, mm -hmm. and those are the runners who take time to to get to practice early and stretch and stay late and stretch and 
stretch and stretch and foam roll and, and do all those little things. All, uh, it's such a popular thing for people to do is to do a half marathon, a marathon, and, and a lot of people get hurt and they don't do like the proper things, the stretching and all that other stuff. But but let's go to the pretty boy miler part of you. Uh, you're you're a sub four minute miler. So yeah. I, I know it's more common than when Roger Bannister broke the mark mm-hmm. back in the 50s or 60s whenever it was done. But a sub four minute mile is still a heck of an accomplishment. What's it like to be, you know, uh, trying to train for something like that, and then you're out there on on the track. Your lungs are burning. You're you're watching your your splits. You know, mm-hmm. take me through the process of running a sub four minute mile. Yeah. Um. Well, I should say that just becoming a sub four miler doesn't make you a pretty boy. And particularly, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily consider myself a pretty boy, but I'm a miler at, at the very least. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. I think. It's definitely something special. I think uh, it is It is a lot more common than when Roger Bannister first did it, but I think the stat that a lot of sub four milers like to say is there have been more people to summit Mount Everest than go under four minutes in the mile. Wow. So it's a little bit of, yeah, uh, clout with that. But um, yeah, when you're running the mile, um, there's definitely a lot of stress and focus on the third lap. So for instance, when I ran my um, PR in the mile of 356, I got the chance to race over in Europe. So this was uh, in a mile in Dublin, Ireland called the Morton Games Mile. And I just remember being stressed out of my mind because you're underneath the stadium and you're getting called out one by one and each the athlete with their country's name. So you're racing against wow. like, like Germans and Belgians and mm-hmm. Americans and uh, Kenyans and everything. So it's just very, it's just like a pressure cooker of stress and there's silence at the line. Um, and the gun goes off and it just, if you, if you break it down into four laps, obviously is the easiest way to do it. The first lap, you're th- focusing on getting out and keeping your breathing as chill as possible and not worrying about the clock. If you see 58 seconds on the first lap, then you're on pace for a good time. Halfway through, you think, okay, if I get through this lap, I'm halfway through. And then that way I can just start sc- scratching, clawing at the line. And I know that um, for me, because I take so much time in the cross country season, building on like 80, sometimes more miles a week, that from 600 meters out, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm strong enough that if someone starts taking it out from a lap and a half to go, I'm able to go with it. So I know I get a lot of confidence on that third lap when I'm halfway done with that third lap and I have 600 meters to go. And um, a lot of it comes from uh, my old teammate, Sam Prakel, who is now, he's a volunteer coach here and him and I train to continue to train together. Um, when him and I are running together, Oregon, um, he was definitely a person who liked to press the gas from 300 meters out. So coach Powell would send me out with 600 meters to go and start peeling off the field a little bit and uh-huh. then Sam would take over the reins at 300 to go. And I think that gave me a lot of experience and confidence that I can do that, um, in races when I'm with myself and I don't have Sam. Um, so yeah, then I start pressing the gas with 600 to go and a lap to go. Even if you see three minutes, you just get kind of a tingle. Like you get really excited. And yeah. yeah and I, I just remember the first time that I did it was in, um, New York. Um, and my, I knew my parents were in the stands and I, with 300 meters to go, I saw Andy and he said, like, you can do this, look up and drive. And then I just remember you look back to all the rainy mornings doing 300 meter repeats. And I'm like, I can do a 300 meters in like 44 seconds. Like I can do this. Mm-hmm. I've done it so many times in practice. So you, if you, if you manage to stay composed and keep your breathing chill as possible until 300 to go, then you can sort of rely on that training and when you break the tape, you know that you've you've done something special that not a lot of people have done. <laughs> That's really really cool. Um, you know, I think the 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 two races. I think when you think of distance running, the two races that I think of the most are I think of a mile, mm. and then I think of a marathon. And Katie, you've got a legacy marathon in your family. Your your mom Lisa actually won the bust the Boston Marathon. I mean, yeah. that's 
really, yeah. really cool. Um, I know it was before your time, but what is marathoning like? What's it mean to your family? And, and what has that left on, on you and, and the way you look at running? Right. Um, never run a marathon. I'm not sure that's in my future anytime soon. <laughs> 26 miles is a very long ways to go. Um, but that being said, growing up with my mom um, and like having a little bit of that legacy has always been some sort, it's like a source of inspiration, I guess, for me. Growing up, I would get to travel around to races with her and they would, you know, bring her back to Boston to like hold the tape or something. And um, I'd run like the little kids like mile or something. But, <laughs> um, it was just an amazing experience to see how many people like look up to what she has done and mm-hmm. or she, I'd hear about workouts that she would, you know, that she would do. And, and it's funny because now I have this perception of my mom and, you know, she, she runs for fun, but doesn't run competitively anymore. And, you know, she's, you know, getting a little bit older. And so it's funny to see, like, see her and then hear about things that she's done and for me, there's like this like kind of disconnect because she's my mom. Right? Yeah, right. And then it's like, oh, but she's run five by mile under five minutes with a minute rest. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> like what? <laughs> and so I don't know. It's really cool. Like being able to like go through some of her logs or go through some of her old races and just hear about the experiences that she had and just know that she understands like what I'm going through. And she, you know will understand the disappointment of, you know, not competing well and she'll she'll know the excitement of competing well. And so having someone like that in your corner is huge. Um so I'm super grateful for the experience and to have like that sort of um legacy, I guess, mm-hmm. behind me. So mm-hmm. um it's very motivating. Yeah, I, I would imagine. So uh I think it was only like two weekends ago, maybe three weekends ago now. Um we had the first ever marathon runner to break two hours. And I remember, I mean, it's college football Saturday. We're all checking the scores and everything. And then all of a sudden that news comes out and it's like, whoa, that is massive, massive news. I wonder what your reactions were when you saw that there was a, a new world record set in, uh, in, in the marathon. I was, um, I was pretty ecstatic. I, I'm a huge fan of Eliud Kipchoge. Um, I've read a lot of uh, the stuff that he's, he's, he's written a few um, essays and stuff and he's given a lot of interviews and he's just such a, a great human being like he's one of those people that you can describe as a good soul mm-hmm. you know he's just he lives simply happy and he trains so hard um, so I was just I was more not so astounded by the fact that someone ran under two hours for a marathon but I was more just excited for the man himself because he just deserves it he has such a legacy on the track so I remember yeah just I live with a bunch of runners and we were all just like so stoked and um, it was pretty cool that a lot of my non-running friends and family were talking about it because oftentimes marathoning doesn't get too much credit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's something that much like the sub four mile, like everyone can sort of get around and realize how um, how historical a moment that was. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Katie? Um, I was blown away. Um, I think what's cool is the, the slogan is no limits. Right, Mick? Uh, no human is no limited. No human is limited. Yes. yes. Oh, okay. I love that. I think that that's it can apply to so many things Mm -hmm. like it can apply to what we're doing in practice tomorrow when we're you know ripping the workout around the track it can apply to our races it can apply to just so many different aspects um of your life not just sport um so that i thought was a great message and something that i'll take with me um further there was a world record set by 
a female marathoner later that weekend. She ran two hours, 14 minutes Dang. for the marathon. The and the next day, the next yeah. day, she ran two hours, 14 minutes. And um, to put it in perspective, she had no pacers. She did not have the same sort of hype and you know yeah, atmosphere. That, that's true. And um, that same exact race, there there was a group of U.S. men that had run um, two ten in the marathon, and that was a huge deal. That's only four minutes faster than this female. Yeah, like that. I thought that was a little underhyped, but amazing. So. No, I mean that's a that's a really good point because I just saw the headline right. that uh, uh, how do you pronounce his name? Kip, Kip, uh, yeah, Eliud Kipchoge. Kipchoge, yeah. I'd seen the headline that he had broken the record again while I was checking all the college football stuff on Zorkin. But you're right, the 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 female world record didn't you know get the same headlines, and it is unreal when you think about and try to put into perspective what that is. Like you, you get on a treadmill and you put it on 12.5 and maybe you put a little incline on it and you think like that's hard to do for a lot of people for like a minute. That's what they're doing for 26 miles. That's what they're doing, right. you know, over the course of two hours. It's just absolutely unbelievable and uh, and really uh, historic. So, okay, um, what are we looking forward to here uh, as you, you come down the stretch of the cross-country season? You get ready for indoor track, but first – there's there's nationals and everything that you're going to be competing in. Uh, what, what are you guys looking forward to the most here down the stretch of the cross-country season? Well, I think heading into championship season, it's um, really easy to get distracted by outcomes and, you know, winning and like that sort of, um, I guess, outcome-based thinking. And mm -hmm. we've been working so hard on process-oriented thinking the entire season. So for the girls' team, we're going to head into Pac-12s with the mindset if everyone goes out and does their job on the day, runs as hard as they can, then the results will will come. But if you go into the race focusing on the outcome, it's really easy to get distracted. Mm -hmm. So for the girls, we're gonna keep our heads down. Um, we're going to you know, put all of our cards on the table. We're gonna leave it out there and um, hopefully that uh, gets us where we wanna be. Yeah, I think um, we're still we still have two weeks left of the six week block, which is our the hardest training block where we're sort of expected to be perfect when it comes to sleep and stretching and all the little things. Um, so right now we're going to stay focused on the process and kind of shut out all the rankings and the predictions and everything. Um, and as far as as the racing goes, um, Coach Powell is definitely there's a lot of methodical thinking behind his race strategies, but I think all the guys in the team can be pretty sure that it'll be boiled down to um, the platitude, we're going to run hard today. Um, so a lot of the times um, there might be a lot of like, well, at mile two, we're going to start pushing and then we're going to maybe step off the brake, but not quite for our team. I think that we're a bunch of uh, grinders, so we can just sort of expect to, to run really hard for the next three races that we have and um, whatever the outcome, so be it. But for right now, we'll just keep putting the work in. Yeah, I could talk running with you guys all day because uh, you're, you're both phenomenal at what you do. And uh, if any Huskies that are out there listening are runners and want to come support, I mean, these are two student athletes that definitely deserve your support 1,000%. Um, just fantastic stuff. Mick, Katie, thanks for the time. Thank you. And uh, we'll be cheering you on as, as the uh, Pac-12s and the Nationals uh, you know, continue to play out. So uh, good luck this year and go dogs. Thanks a lot. Good, good dogs. dogs. Thank you.